I didn't see the thing that said it's being recorded. That's it fine. It's up in the top of All the right. screen there, young man. <laughs> Welcome. We, that, that's how we're starting the podcast today, everybody. It's just Tim and I uh, trying to figure out some technical stuff. It's Swing Thoughts. You got to get right to it because it's just Tim and me. and We got a lot of stuff to get to today. I'm uh, Howard, of course, golf spiritual leader from the Humble and Fred Show. Tim O'Connor. O'ConnorGolf.ca. Quiet uh, Mind Golf. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Hello, sir. Golf uh, Tim, Coach Tim, uh, mental performance uh, extraordinaire, all that stuff. It's a good guy, too. Thank you. Know, you. Thank you. It's an interesting day today for me. It's, um, it's, I guess, in many people's views, it would be a milestone day. Today's the day I turned 6'5". Hold on a second. What? Yeah, today's the day I turned 6'5". You notice I'm not saying 65, which I think is showing that I still have a bit of Something going on subconsciously, perhaps trying to suppress something there. But uh, yeah, today's the day. I, I don't even know what to say, except for most people say happy birthday or happy birthday. Oh yeah, our band is going to do this too. <laughs> Yeah, I just hurt. I just hurt my neck. <laughs> because you're 62. I was dancing. Yeah. At our vintage, that happens. Happy, happy, happy birthday to you. Thanks. I just thought I'd get that out of the way. I think that's really cool. That it's funny because I have, uh, well, two very dear friends and an actual brother. That are now 65 or over. I think that's cool, man. You look great for. Listen, look at you. 65, when we were younger, if you met somebody that was 65, you'd be like, how are you still alive? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Seriously. Now, like they, Dave Hempstead, our host, our uh, guest from last week, has this bit about old people. <laughs> you know, babies smell because they smell pristine because they're pure. Old people smell. <laughs> Smell from war crimes and regret. That's right. That's right. That's what we smell like. Um, I do this bit in my act about how old people. I said I don't know if you've been around a lot of old people lately, but some of them smell like uh, a bit soupy, like they have a brothy kind of vibe. Um, there's a, there's definitely an odor. But do you, you sir, are rocking as the kids say, sixty five years young. Oh, there you go. Okay. 65. I know. I was so cheesy. Uh, exactly. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, I'm Howard. Tim's uh, the birthday boy today. This program, as always, brought to you by Jonathan Wong Apparel. We were actually going to have JW on the show today, but he's not uh, feeling well. I don't think it's anything nefarious, and it's not the vid. Um, oh, I think it is. It is it the vid? Good. Yeah, his son tested positive. Oh, okay. So it's the vid. Everyone's getting a vid. Yeah, right. You know, it's, it's funny. I did. I was, I was going to do this bit on the Humble and Fred show this morning. And I wrote it down. And I said, everyone has COVID. And then I'm starting to feel left out. Like, <laughs> now I'm such a... I have such high inclusion needs. Anyway, Jonathan... Have you, have you not had it yet? <laughs> no, I haven't had the vid. I'm not vid free. Really? Yes, bro. I know you've had the vid. You're cool. All the cool kids have had it. Well, I, it spared me. My, my, our whole band got it. and I thought you had it too. Two weeks. I had it back at Christmas. You had old so, school vid. Exactly. <laughs> I had the uh, the Goliath Omicron version. Um, yeah, so getting it back. So it was a gift. 
There you go. To get yeah. it at Christmas time. Right. Because when everyone else is getting it now, Mr. Triple Vax already had it. Look at you. I know. Yeah. Um, okay. Let me just get this out. JWApparelInc.com. Uh, offering golfers of all ages quality apparel head to toe each brand delivers great quality and styling for all weather conditions tim and i are right uh, right now in the middle of uh putting in our order for all kinds of stuff fairway and green zero restriction be dratty and so forth and of course our title sponsor for uh now i'm gonna say six of our seven years at least uh tailor-made the all-new Stealth Carbon Wood by TaylorMade for better energy transfer and more ball speed. To learn more about the TaylorMade products, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Over the last 40 years, TaylorMade says you've inspired us to make a lot of great drivers, and, and they and they have. Think about it. The bubble driver, the original. Uh, R7. Persimmon. Not the, no, no. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that the very, listen, ahead. this is, uh, I was going to say, the very first uh, metal driver I ever had was a TaylorMade. I think most people had that. Tiny-headed Pittsburgh persimmon. That's exactly right. And, uh, anyway, now uh, all materials, as they say, eventually reach their limit. So just like they went from persimmon to steel and then steel to titanium, now it's time to leave titanium behind. Uh, to learn more about stealth or to schedule a fitting, check out TaylorMadeGolf.ca. I was playing with some guys the other day. And they uh, were uh, asking me about the driver, and they said, oh, you know, this and that. And they'd heard it. They'd only ever seen it indoors. And then after a couple drives, they said, you know, that thing sounds good. And I said, it yeah. It, it, it sounds, it has a very um, lower register uh, kind of feel off. It, it, it sounds like, um, somebody said it sounded like persimmon, but I don't remember that. It's, it's a, it has a very deep resonance to it when you hit it. Have you, I can't remember. Have you played outdoors yet? Have not. Have okay. not. When is that? But it sounds great in happening? the sim. Yeah. Sounds great. When are you playing I'm old, outside? I'm not old enough to remember what persimmon <laughs> sounds like. I thought yes. it was more like click. <laughs> I, I remember playing persimmon stuff. I remember playing it, but I don't remember what it sounded like. No, me neither. Um, okay, so on the show today, uh, it's just Tim and I talking about our nonsense. And um, when is it, when is your first round scheduled for? Saturday. Uh, Blue Springs. It, yeah, is Blue Springs open or is it just opening this weekend? It opens tomorrow. Nice. I might, oh no, actually Friday, sorry. We're recording this on Wednesday. Right. Yeah, so on uh, Friday it opens. And I think what I might do uh, to check out my Brooke Benny-aided IT band, which I've been working on doing my my exercises, I'm mm-hmm. going to go, I think, maybe just play the the Academy course and carry my uh, my bag and just see how that goes. Okay. Um, yeah, Glenn Karen opened. How many times you? Many I've times only played a couple up? times. I played Glenn Karen a okay. week ago yesterday. And then I played Rattlesnake a week ago today, or I don't remember now, the holidays mix me up, but then most people listening know that on the holiday Monday, I guess Easter Monday, it snowed. Yeah. Like for real, like not like, oh, a little dusting of snow. It was like snowing heavy flakes. I don't know in Guelph, you guys got oh, a lot of snow on the ground. Yep. All of that. And I'm going to go play today. Glen Karen's open, you know. It, it closed yesterday because it was covered yeah. with snow. And then today it's like, it's going to be like 11 degrees this afternoon. It's just fine. And then Sunday, uh, Friday, actually, the day that we're going to release our podcast, uh, I'm playing with Fitzsimmons and Paul oh, nice. Gortner. Yeah. 
and another guy named Craig Watkins, who's like a plus three. Wow, you guys got a combined handicap of like one. No, no handicap, because I'm the highest handicap in the group. Oh, there you go. Well, I... Um, no, but it's a, a certain you, vintage. We 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 uh, we can't do math. So. Yeah, math is no good either. No, so Fitz is a plus three. Watkins is wow. a plus three. Gordner probably a plus two and a half. Wow. And I'm like the weak weak link. But uh, it'll be interesting. Up, eh? That's right. <laughs> Come on, pops, with your dinky little. Uh, <laughs> anyway, on today's show, we thought Tim and I were talking yesterday about a couple of things. We thought, hey, we're, we're just going to get together and we'll have a podcast and talk about some of the things. And I thought maybe started off with some of the things that uh, you're working on. I mean, Quiet Mind Golf, by the way, everyone, still you can sign up for it, even though the first, I think the first session was a couple of weeks ago, but it's not too late. Go to O'Connor Golf, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And take advantage of this. It's a rare opportunity to have Tim and Nate uh, work with you and others for the entire season. And I love the mo- I love the model of working on something over the course of the golf season to see some real improvements. Yeah, thanks. The reason why that there's so many benefits to that is it's it's called what it's called is integration. Mm. And what integration allows us to do is take something new. It could be just an awareness. It could be, a, uh, let's say, a new motor pattern we want to bring into being. But because we're creatures of habit, it takes a long time to make these things real and to learn them and, in essence, own them. Mm. That's why golf's so hard. I mean, we, we learn something, you know, whether, you know, someone noticed something in our swing or we went to the range late in a Friday and we think, oh, that's it. All I have to do is this tomorrow and I own golf. <laughs> and as well, no, that doesn't happen. That's right. The reason is, is because it all kind of neuroscience stuff like short-term memory. But back to integration, unless we're doing things frequently and getting feedback and support and generally some accountability and some coaching, it's so easy to revert back to our old behaviors. So why a program like this and why long-term coaching of any kind is so beneficial is because you get that integration happening. I also like the model you guys have set up because there's two things that Tim's doing. One is Quiet Mind, which is a a series of you know, lessons, seminars, what have you, but also the uh, the group that you put together, the uh, Golf is Life group, is just an opportunity for people to be accountable to themselves and others. I know that there's it's a very powerful motivator, I guess, for lack of a better word, for you to to know that okay, I'm going to work on this stuff with Tim and Nate, and then next week or the couple weeks from now, I'm going to have to talk about how I integrated it into my game. It's kind of this, uh, we have a sponsor on the Humble and Fred show right now called Noom, N-O-O-M. And it's a psychology-based weight loss program. And we've been using it. I've been using it. Freddie has. Both of us, he's lost 15 pounds in three months. I've lost 12 pounds. But one of the things about the program that made me think of what you guys are doing is that there's an accountability using this app. You have to be accountable by logging your weight and by logging your meals every day. And just the simple act, and you'll love this. The idea that awareness is curative. The simple act of being aware of what you're eating and being responsible for reporting it is kind of like, oh, and like I, I've lost this weight pretty easily, you know. Again, I'm that's so cool. So it's kind of the same thing. Um, well, what exactly. so I, I just I just ahead. want to just just elaborate on that. What's, elaborate. What people would, what people would be interested in, t- in knowing is that, in essence, that's how 
the Weight Watchers group got going mm-hmm. was around accountability and that you, you do your weigh-in, you say you're going to do this, you know, uh, lose this many pounds by a certain date. And so when we make a commitment, and particularly when we make it public, it's so in you know pop psychology, they tell you all the time, if you want to reach a goal, tell somebody about it. And then, and then basically set up a, a mutual check-in. Say, how'd you do with that? Okay, it's Friday. You said you're going to do this by now or whatever. And there's just something we want to do as humans is we don't want to disappoint someone yeah. and we don't want to feel shame. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, and that's, that's what yeah. made me, I connected that to what you guys were doing because with your group uh, and, and with uh, your students, there's a mutual accountability. And a lot of, I mean, I've always, listen, we both have been friends with golf instructors for a long time. And whether it's Sean Foley, who we both know, or my friend Marty Chuck in Phoenix, like teaching golf has got to be tough because no matter how much you think you know or how good the lesson was, if that person isn't going to go away and try and listen to the word of the day, integrate what they've learned, you know, it's sort of useless. And one of the first things when I met Evershed told me when I first met him and Marty, uh, strangely enough, was the one that introduced me to Mark. And he said, I won't teach you for, I won't let you sign up for anything less than five lessons. And at first I was like, is that like for money? He said, no, no, because one lesson is useless. hundred percent. Absolutely. Yep. So no, that's, I mean, that's why your model, I think, is a, is a good one. Because over the course of the season, as I said, you'll be able to see and we all be responsible to one another. Yeah, well, here's my first Fred uh, Shoemaker <laughs> comment of the day. Hold on. There you go. Love that. Yeah. Okay, that's for that's for Fred. That's for decade. Okay. This is for the word of the day. Integration. All right. All right. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. What After about the show? You got to tell me who did those two musical bits. So, the Fred Shoemaker uh, um, thing is about uh, commit to freedom. Mm-hmm. And I love that saying when I heard him, it just kind of hit me between the eyes because if I commit to something, that means I'm not going to, in essence, wriggle out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going, oh, not today. I'm kind of tired or or whatever, any rationalization, some ego-based stuff. When I commit to something, it's like, okay, that's my word. That's mm-hmm. me on the line. And so that's why uh, commitment, it's it's in essence it's a strikes people as a contradiction what do you mean if i commit to freedom <laughs> if i commit i have no freedom well no actually you when you commit you are free from the usual human behaviors of trying to wriggle out of something you know it's you know in many times in my life i've been lucky to either have great golf instruction or in you know, sometimes I, I, years ago, I, I was a part owner of a, of a workout facility. And, and when you have a trainer to work with. Oh, yeah. You know, I've spent the last three and a half months now. Well, well coming up to four months working out with our friend Brooke Benny. Bam a lamb. Exactly. A couple times, three times, sometimes a week. We've been doing it remotely. And you think, okay, well, I, I can do I just was corresponding with him before the show because we're trying to hook up uh, a workout next week. And I said, well, I'll do one. I can do it on my own. But I can tell you the level of effort I put in by myself, same program, as having him watch me exactly. is night and day. Like, because... You know, like, I, I have him to, not only is he monitoring my form, but 
you know, I want I want to put like you just said I want to put the effort in because I because he's checking in on me. Anyway, let's get to some golf stuff. Uh, so to start with, now that we've established uh, whatever, uh, what are some of the things you're working on? And then I'll tell you some of the stuff that I've been these conversations I'm having with my, you know, I don't even know they are students, friends, clients, uh, my decade buddies. Um, and a couple of things that we're talking about getting ready for the season. What are some of the things you guys are discussing? Well, is, <laughs> I didn't mean to stump you there. Please take, yeah, exactly. take all the, if you want, I can edit that out. Take all the time you need. <laughs> I need swing oil at, uh, you know, you mean birdie juice? Yeah, exactly. What we've been talking about in different, um, groups and with students is intention and it's a perfect time of the year to talk about it as we're getting into the golf season here in um southern ontario now intention is really we've talked about this on and off for seven years in this podcast is around you know what is something that i can as in essence set as my objective my reason for being today or what i'm gonna gonna focus on because the usual thing is is basically our addiction to results. And we're just so outcome-based. We want things to happen. Dear God, please let this be the day that, um, you know, I don't have a four-pot or I don't chuck my guts out coming down down the stretch. When I have an intention, it's something that provides almost like a roadmap, uh keeps me on mission if you will so intention could be something that uh, um, for today's round i'm going to be we've talked about this before let's say be the the best golf partner ever or i'm really gonna just every hole i'm gonna take in the environment and really listen to the birds feel the wind etc or it could be just parts of your process i could be say um you know i'm gonna take a deep breath before every shot i'm going to always you know make a a good decision and commit things like that's intention and so we've been doing a lot of discussion about that and because the normal place we fall back on is is the thing i'm working on today going to work am i going to going to shoot the target score etc etc so that's a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about so when it comes to setting intention, it's interesting because, again, I, I'm fully transparent with everyone. You know, we had a guest. Uh, we had to reschedule. And then Tim and I talked yesterday about what we would do on the show. And I said, well, why don't you write down a few things that you guys are working on? I'll write down a couple of things that I'm, you know, in discussions with these guys that I work with. And one of the things I wrote down was basically the same thing, setting goals for the season. Um, might be, you know, maybe a little bit different this year for, for your golf. Maybe, you, like you just said, maybe your intention is around process as opposed to outcomes. Because as we both know, and, you know, the experts, and I say that in quotations, the experts that we are is certainly one, we're certainly experts in knowing that intending to, having a results-oriented intention is not the way to go because you can't control it. Exactly. Yeah. And you trying to control it. Exactly. Trying to control it is a recipe for the opposite of what we propose here, which is, you know, man, as, as my buddy, our buddy Doolin would say, managing your state. 
you know, is, is what it's all about. But then, you know, I, I like what you start off with, like, okay, so you got this golf season coming up. You know, maybe you have goals and, and they're process oriented versus I have to shoot a certain number all the time to make me happy. Yeah, because that's the um, uh, a interesting word I rediscovered phrase that I rediscovered this week is arrival fallacy, and that is when you know I get the promotion I'll be happy. Right. When I get this car I'll be happy. Or in golf, if my handicap drops to this I'll be happy. If I win. The flight my club C or I, I win a tour event, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. But the it's a promise that just never delivers. That I'll be happy when. So it's just you know a lot of times just when we get the things that we want that we've worked so hard on. It's like uh, Bernard Langer when he won the Masters and David Duvall when he won the Open Championship. For, well, Langer won it twice. For both of them, both they won. They thought so. This is supposed to be the mountaintop. <laughs> this is Nirvana. It's supposed to be every day I open the curtains and go, so great to be alive. And both of them had kind of like a, whoa, really? Isn't the, the, the world supposed to be paved with gold now and everything? No. The world just keeps going. I mean, it feels good to win and, and reach goals. But if we kind of view that as, as I say, nirvana or I'll be happy when... Like I say, that just never really delivers. Yeah, I, so, and I, I, I love that ahead. phrase, arisal, arrival fan, uh, fallacy. And I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead, finish your No, go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> too pol- well, welcome to two polite white men. Um, <laughs> of a certain vintage. Uh, no, what I was going to say is, like, I think part of the frustration, and I can speak of, as a golfer that, you know, tries for so long to be good, is I think part of the frustration for golfers comes from not knowing what to work on or not work as a, you know what I mean? Not knowing where to place your attention. Let me put it that way. Perfect. Like a lot of confusion in the game comes from, and whether you're working with someone like Tim or I or somebody else and you're looking on your China change your golf swing, but where you place your attention can be frustrating for golfers too because we're never sure like what is if you don't know what you want out of it then how do you know where to put your attention to get what you want out of it exactly yeah well a really good way to to look at that i think and i'm really proud i came up with this please tell me (laughs) let me elucidate for you please Um, birthday tim okay so intention is macro right and attention is is micro. So let's say I go into a round of golf and I say, today's the day I'm going to just... One thing I've been thinking about is just playing with a sense of creativity and freedom. If that's my intention, that sort of sets the tone in, in a macro sense for the round. The micro is, what do I pay attention to? So for those two seconds or so that I'm swinging the club, what's something that I could put my focus on that will help and generally a process thing that'll help me in generally not being concerned with the result and being present for Mm -hmm. this athletic motion so the attention i could place could be on say the tee and tailor made on my golf golf ball could be or looking at the back of the ball it could be watching the club hit the ball it could be just the feeling of the swing my arms and there's everything Putting my attention on something like that is something that can serve you. And it's really interesting we're having this conversation because that's exactly the conversation I had with a client yesterday. 
he was talking he was down in Florida he was on one of those buddy golf trips you know seven rounds of golf and six days kind of thing and he described a time when he was trying to hit the ball he was thinking of something and hits the his driver like 50 yards dead left <laughs> <laughs> and he's like so pissed off so he goes out takes a drop and he just goes oh my god okay and he just took a swing and he just kind of looked at the ball and it was like pow mm-hmm. hit this beautiful tight little draw gets up the next one boom in the jar <laughs> and he goes he goes how does that happen and I said well you weren't really trying hard and I would say for I'd say for that moment you were your swing your attention was was on say there's just a the golf ball or mm-hmm. the feeling of making a swing but the key piece is is that it wasn't around trying to do something it wasn't trying to remember what do I do with my you know my elbow or my hip or my knee or sequence or anything like that so that's why intention and attention are super beneficial for you um, in trying, in essence, to keep all the noise in your head, just, just you know, press pause on it all. Well, it's funny that that situation, we've all had it where, you know, you hit a, you know, you smother hook something into the bush and then you get up and without really thinking and you sort of, you know, in a moment of frustration, sometimes... You know, we find freedom in that moment because you're like, oh, well, not that you've given up, but it's like you just kind of swing at it and it works out. You know, how many times of us, uh, those of us, you know, you've gone and you, you know, you go and you sort of do the one foot tap in where you sort of like, you know, you just get a three foot or you just kind of walk up and wave at it and it just always goes in. And yet (laughs) all of us, including Jordan Spieth last weekend. Yep. (laughs) Where he missed an 18 inch putt. But by the way, just in case you think it never happens, um, there's a decade stat around how many times professional golfers have missed 18-inch putts, and it's an amount of times. It's not like, and I I think it's key, I want to segue into expectations here in a second, because I think it's key for all of us to recognize when we do it, it doesn't mean like there's something wrong with us. Exactly. Well said. It happens to Jordan Spieth had one of his worst putting statistical putting tournaments of his career for his 13th win. Exactly. For his he putted win. horribly <laughs> yeah. and still won. Yeah. And he didn't just putt horribly by Jordan Spieth standards. He had a bad like it was like he said, he's been working so much on his golf swing that he hasn't been working on his putting anyway. But uh I think that's a big thing for me in the conversations I'm having with uh, these golfers that, you know, if you don't know what a good shot is, and this is where we'll get into some decade stuff. One of the things about decade and I call, you know, we talked about the psychology of expectation management and managing your expectations isn't what just what Tim was talking about intention and attention because you those are things that you can control. Where do you put your attention? Absolutely. You can control that. Yeah, you can't control where the ball's going to go. Honestly, you can't. But you should be able to understand, or you should understand, excuse me, and then be able to control your emotional response to shots. And I guess that's part of the, um, you know, what attracts me to this method is that it has definitely given me some perspective as to what, you know, what, what an outcome could be. 
do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what I thought I was supposed to do before I, I cottoned on to this, but I used to get really mad if I didn't hit a good shot or what I thought was a good shot all the time. Mm. And the reason I don't get as mad is because I understand within the confines of my limited ability what I should expect a golf ball to do. And it ain't what I used to think it was, you know? Exactly. Well, that's one of the things that I think that um, it might be one of the things that is underappreciated in what Scott Fawcett has brought to golf in sense of this uh, perspective. Yes. And, you know, the strokes gain stuff of Mark Brody is amazing. But Fawcett is really the person who's who's brought it out in a way that now it's understandable mm-hmm. for a large group of golfers to understand that no we're not expected to hit it perfect all the time and when you watch the pros they don't hit it perfect all the time either bang on and I don't think and I think that Fawcett has been uh, what a gift uh, he's brought us in that regard well I was going to say that's bang on because you know the original book that attracted me to this whole conversation in 1995 was golf is not a game of perfect and yep. what what Fawcett's done and what decade does or any statistical whether it's Arcos or any of these ones because there are others beside decade, but what they do and what and what you just said is it, it gives you some perspective. So golf is not a game of perfect, and here's why. Because when I first read that book, I'm like, okay, it's not. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means: Tiger Woods from 145 yards to 155 yards in the fairway through his career hit 26 percent of his shots outside of 30 feet. So the best player of all time hit one of four shots from 150 yards outside of 30 feet. I'm not even talking about on the green. So if you're 150 yards from the green this weekend and you hit it, you hit it on the green, first of all, amazing. But if you happen to hit it to 45 feet, you're no different than Tiger because he hit it outside of 30 feet one quarter of the time. Now, to your point, I'm just going to finish by saying that is the emotional for me, for sure. The emotional byproduct of knowing that has given me a perspective. Now, when I hit a pitch shot to seven feet from the rough, I go, as opposed to going, why do you suck at chipping? Now I go, oh, that's not so bad. Mm -hmm. That's a decent shot. And the thing that I find, again, really interesting about what Fawcett has brought to golf is that is, the you know, analytics, of course, has become huge in all sports, and a lot of people just go, oh, I, you know, I just want to have some fun, or, or it's taking some of the creativity out of whatever sport you're talking about. But what I think Fawcett has done is by going deeper into the numbers and looking what's going on, he's expanded our understanding of what happened and gives ourselves some allowance. And I think the word I'm searching for is, is variance. Yes. When he talks about the wind... When someone talks about a, he said, say a twenty mile an hour wind or so, that thing isn't just going twenty miles an hour. It could go as low as ten mm-hmm. or so, up to thirty, maybe even more. And so you don't know what's going to happen there in terms of that variance that happens, or the variance that happens just because you're putting on on grass. Mm-hmm. I mean, people think that golf <laughs> surfaces are perfect. I think it was Sean Foley who said that if you put a green under. A microscope. It looks like broccoli heads. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's yeah. it's not this you know absolutely dead perfect thing. So when we start to understand 
the the variance factor in that we're human beings and we're not meant to swing like robots because if we did we would die <laughs> well, and <laughs> but you have to because that's what you do as a species you adapt or die yeah and then and and part of the game and again I, I, these are all you know if anyone's been listening to all 193 now of these shows mm-hmm. you know you could really hear and i would love to go back and you know we should we should do that as a you know as a bit for maybe our 200th show Go back mm-hmm. and, and play some clips from our very first couple of shows. Because I think you would hear, a re- for, cert- for sure for me, <clears throat> excuse me, an evolution of understanding of variance, expectation. And I'm always learning. Like, you know, I've got a, I got a call with Fawcett next week. And, I'm, you know, it's very, I'm very lucky I can talk to him. But, you know, I've got a couple things to talk to him about, not the least of which is, okay, I'm at this level of understanding now, and this is where I want to go. What are the things I need to do to get to there now? Because this, you know, I'm at a point now of, like, I'm going to play golf today. To our earlier discussion about setting goals for the season, I, I have some specific goals, but my goal every day now has been the same for a couple of years, which is, you know, obviously I want to have fun. I want to have a good party. I want to take on the surroundings. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I have all those as, you know, subcategories. Those lovely, those lovely experiences. Exactly. <laughs> but, but I will go to the first tee today ready to play the game of golf. The, I am not, not going to, even though it's a nothing round, I'm not going to allow myself to do anything to do my best of my ability to get in the way of shooting the lowest score I can. And, and whether that is 85 or 70, I don't care. I'm going to, I want to leave. My goal is to leave the golf course every day knowing I made as many good decisions as I could. And then after that, it's, as you say, it's the variance of golf, right? Yeah, because you don't know what's going to happen today. I mean, it's, it, where I live in golf right now, it's a nice and sunshiny day. But when you're playing today, who knows what could happen? The, yeah. the temperature could could dive and the wind could come up and 85 could be an amazing score. Absolutely. I mean, wearing, I could be wearing, but I'm wearing four layers. It's going to be, exactly. you know, 10 degrees. Um, let's quickly, I wanted to, I, I picked out a couple slides. I wanted to let everyone know that uh, this is one of the things I, I did a little seminar for our friend Casey the other day. And I found this slide just to give people perspective on handicaps and what, and I think there's a bit of a misconception as if you're a 10 handicap, what you're supposed to be shooting. Um, you're like a six, so we'll take you as a five, as an example. Let's say you're a five handicap. If you're a five handicap on a par 72 golf course that's rated 72 for this, the purposes of this discussion, the math is easy, you would say that a five handicap on a, on a par 72 course should shoot 77-ish, right? Yeah. Most people think that. The problem with thinking that a five handicap should shoot 77 or a 10 handicap should shoot 82, et cetera, et cetera, is that it gives you a feeling that if you don't shoot that number, you've somehow failed. Now, this might be self-evident to some people, but for a lot of golfers, they think their handicap is the score they're supposed to shoot, not the score they're supposed to shoot once out of every four or five times. I can tell you I've been around the game my whole life, and that didn't make any sense to me until quite recently, in the last few years. So if you're a scratch golfer, your average score to par isn't 72. It's about 75. 
And in fact, I looked at my decade stats before I talked to these kids last Saturday and went, you know what? That's about right. I was a little bit lower than that, 74.5. But my point about a five handicap is when you shoot your average score, which is actually eight over par, you should feel like, oh, that's that's good. I've done my job today. Not like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I shoot the 77? Well, you can. Just not every round. Because if you shot 77 every round, you'd be a two. Or, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, and again, that's another example of perspective. Exactly. And, um, you know, one of the reasons I think it's important to know whatever handicap you have, you have it for a reason. The idea is it's, it's your, the handicap is a representation of your potential score. And I got to tell you, for a long time, I wish I'd have known this, because for a long time I used to feel, I mean quite recently, feel like if guys played with me, I didn't want to tell them what my handicap was because I was afraid I wouldn't shoot it that day. And I was afraid that if I told them I was a one or a two or whatever I was at the time, then I would be like, oh, but they're going to expect me to shoot one or two over par. But strangely enough, once I got to scratch, and I was a plus for a while last summer, I stopped caring about that. Someone was saying, what's your handicap? I'd say zero. And here's the proof. I can, here's, here's how many times I've shot it. Like I, I'm confident that I know now if I'm a scratch, I, if I shoot 75 today, well, I'm, that's about my average score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, thank you for your, for your candor, for, in essence, admitting, if you well, will. Well, it's that. true. A lot, I think a lot of, a lot of people wouldn't. But think of our, our golf professional friends who are club professionals mm-hmm. who maybe play once a week, twice maybe if they're lucky, yep. never practice, and they go out and play with their members – and you talk about expectations. The members of the guy's a golf professional. He must be a scratch, and and so it's our. It's just so maybe I guess why I'm saying this is that hey golf pros, give yourself some slack. Go out and have some fun. Yeah. And hey members, uh, give your golf pros some slack and just let them have fun. <laughs> but and and I was thinking about my older brother when I saw these stats because David's gotten himself down to like a. 12 13 handicap oh good for him which is great he's come down from a 16 to a 12 um by the way he's going to be visiting me next week and i was going to run this by you we we should i'm not sure who we have next week but uh since he's going to be here i might have him pop on and uh offer us some you know psychology uh based um, that'd be awesome like uh, he's like a he's like a real psychology guy he's like a you know he's like a guy that knows stuff do you call him like dr glassman well he's not quite a doctor but he's probably he should be a doctor um plays one on tv (laughs) but as far as i guess i i offered that slide just for perspective before you go out let's just just under give yourself a break you know, and again, I, sh- I wish I because I remember hearing this phrase vanity cap. And I used to think, yeah. well, is that what I have? Like, do people think that I when I have because I can't shoot 74 every time they play with me. Sometimes I shoot 80. And I, again, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, golfers are, you know, I'm not the only self-conscious golfer, but it used to make me a bit uptight because I I tell somebody I'm a good player. But what if you don't play good that day? Well, fuck, golf's hard, you know. <laughs> sorry sorry well that's again so expectation uh to me is in the same league as judgment yes and judgment to me is that is where people get just in a, a whole lot of trouble if you will so if i'm worried about how other people will what they'll think of me 
in essence, what how they'll judge me. Well, that makes me self-conscious. So now mm-hmm. I'm conscious of what I'm doing, how am I doing, what my identity is. And, you know, if I hit a shot that doesn't go off as planned, oh, I guess I suck. I didn't shoot the score <laughs> one. I, whatever. You know, judgment just gets in the way of having fun, learning, discovering, just really that's – and that's um, – it really is a tough one. And that's so, – yeah, so how do we deal with that? Awareness. Oh, I'm in that place again. Okay, I'm standing on the tee. I'm wondering what these guys are thinking about me. Well, that's not going to serve me. And and I don't mind admitting it. I don't think it's that big of a... You know, like I, I, well, maybe, but I think a lot of men, especially I say golfers, but men golfers especially, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a, you know, a, a tough time standing up for our own beliefs I think sometimes in front of other men maybe I'm the only one but I was talking to a, another friend of the show yesterday our buddy Ken Osborne scratch attitude on Twitter one of the the great follows in golf and I was saying to Ken you know you know this thing that Paul Henrik taught me years ago when it's your turn take your turn I said the reason that's hard for guys sometime is because they don't want to back off a shot or if they take an extra second because they're going to get chirped by their friends and I said I'm comfortable now even though sometimes i still feel self-conscious stepping away but i'm more conscious of what i have decided is important to me which is giving myself the opportunity to shoot the lowest score i can so if it i I said to him when i feel uncomfortable which i did last week in this round i was playing a nice round with some good golfers i just got over the ball and and like our friend uh, dr um parent joe parent said joe parent yeah if you're over the ball and you feel uncomfortable and you don't step away and you hit it anyway, that's on you, man. That you know when on the way home you do that four or five times, you're basically saying, I'm I'd rather be less embarrassed by what my friends might say than giving myself the best chance to sh- to to shoot the lowest score. And I'm like, hey, that's fine, but just know it. Know that is what happened. That your self-consciousness got in the way of maybe taking an extra second and going and change clubs. Mm-hmm. Well, if we come back to commit to freedom, that could be a commitment that folks or listeners could consider at the beginning of the year. What commitments am I going to make to myself this season around things like that come up? I get overshot. I feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Is, am I going to hit in any way? Yeah. Or am I going to back off and reconsider? Or if I'm not sure about the line on this putt? And it, 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 it leads to, a, to a, a bigger topic that I don't think we have time to explore uh, today. But is that it's, it's the topic of boundaries. And you know, setting a boundary for yourself of what you're going to commit to for yourself, but also say boundaries you're going to deal with, with people you play with. We had our, in our Golfers Life group, we had a really interesting chat um, last week. Uh, this woman talked about how her intention for the round was to be a good partner. However, these two guys who ended up joining them, they were like getting in their cart and just, they'd hit and just zoom past her. And they were always up ahead. And it's just, just so uncomfortable. And she basically asked our group for some advice. And the advice that, that she got generally was, you know, sometimes you have to set some boundaries. You have to say, you know what? For me to have a good time, I need you guys to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's a common thing, unfortunately, for women. Um, but for golfers in general, you know, everyone's played with that guy. You get to the 10th tee and the guy looks at you, he goes, 
Hey, Timmer, you're one over. Keep it going. (laughs) (laughs) You know, whatever. So, or just people who like, they just act in ways that, that piss us off or maybe disrespectful or whatever. And every once in a while, you have to kind of say, um, because if you don't mind, uh, I don't want my golf swing to interrupt your conversation. Yep. Well, I mean, listen, I take a lot of, you know, I get, I, I know I'm not, uh, you know, I, I got a lot of stuff that's different about me, whether it's the fact that I, uh, you know, I'm obsessive and I don't drink and I'm not the most, you know, I'm not a party guy, but I don't like music on the golf course. I think it's stupid. Yep. I'm sorry if you're listening and you love it, but I, I think it's ridiculous. That makes me old fashioned. I don't give a shit. So I've got a bit of a reputation. Oh, you know, play with Howard. He doesn't want any music. And I always have to do this. Well, I'm not against music. I just don't want to hear your music. How about that? <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> but um, but I basically, be, be, I you know, if I'm with some people and then, you know, like, and I'm, I'll just say this. I'll say, I'll tell you what, play all the music you want. It's just when I'm about to hit and you're standing near me, turn it off. If you're not standing near me or across the fairway at your ball, I don't care. But I just don't want to hear it when I'm over a golf shot. Part of it is because I, I just find my hem, part of my brain tunes into it. So if I'm listening to a song humming along to one of these nights by the Eagles, I'm, I'm not focused on what I'm doing. Or Helpless by Metallica. Love that. But you know what I mean? Like... So I've made that commitment that, you know, I don't and I'm going to say to people playing with me, okay, those are my rules for you playing music in our group. The other thing I was going to say quickly, you know, before we we're going to run, you know, run out of time in 15 minutes or so. But here's the thing. And and again, this goes back to the uh, being self-conscious. You know, I, I told you uh, last week that uh, I played with these guys. I missed the green on my second last hole. I don't know if I told you this. I hit a bunch of greens in regulation. Anyway, I came across a situation that, that's resonated with some of the guys I talked to. I said, you know, I was in a situation where the guys in my group all hit the green in two. I was over the green, out of position, way out of position. Wrong club. Pull hooked it. You know, hot pull showed up. Bad target. All the things you don't want to do. But the, the, the good thing I did was I sucked it up, took my medicine, whatever you want to say in golf, and I got the ball on the green. But, you know, like a lot of greens that run back to front, my ball ran 35 or 40 feet away. Now, I'm, I've hit three shots. These guys are all waiting to putt birdie. And again, I'm describing a situation others have been in where you go to your putt. Now you're still away. The old you're still away guy. And we rush that. Mm-hmm. And I was very conscious as I walked by their putts, which were nearer the hole than the 40-footer I just hit from this bad chip. It wasn't a bad chip. I was just out of position. So as I said to the guy I was talking to recently, I said, here's what I did. I made sure, because my job is to make the lowest amount of strokes, I made sure that I worked on that putt the same way I would if it was for eagle or I was on in two. And it was my turn. I, I, I took my full turn. Because an earlier version, a, self, a more self-conscious, not that I'm less, but somewhat more self-conscious, I would have rushed that putt four or five feet, short, long, whatever, and three-putted. And I would have gone to the next tee thinking, why did you? Well, the reason I would have rushed it is I didn't want to hold the guys up. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. And we've all been in that situation. But for the extra 30 seconds of really going to work on that 40 foot putt 
which I did. I saved myself a shot. I know I did. You did. Absolutely. And, sorry, are you finished your thought? I, I don't even know. Yeah, well, I'm going to say that, and I'm sure that the time you took with that balanced out with the time your partners took. It always does. It always balances out. Uh, absolutely. And I want to let I just, but I, everyone's been in that situation, whether it's that one in particular. But when you're, we've all been in situations where you're still away mm-hmm. and we don't take the same amount of care, attention and time as if that had been a par five and I was on in two and I was 40 feet away. So I pretended that I was. I was like, okay. I said to myself, how would you go about this particular shot if it wasn't a, a, a putt I was never going to make for par? My job at that point, and I would say this to anyone, listen, your job is to give yourself the time it takes to make the best effort you can. You still might three putt from 40 feet. Statistically, mm-hmm. you will more of the time, but at least give yourself a chance because I think a lot of us listening I know this would resonate with me. We don't sometimes give ourselves the same, I don't know, respect that we would give somebody else. You know, Space. Space. Thank you. Thank you. That's why you're here, because you have the good words. <laughs> What's interesting, too, about that and how that connects with judgment and expectations and boundaries is who wants to kind of live their life in a way that's not sort of um, aligned with with say their values and what's important to them and look and no that sounds very grand but who wants to go through life feeling resentful like something happens you go like oh, i should have said something mm-hmm. you know, why did i let that guy get away with you know talking to that woman like that or or why did i rush through that what's mm-hmm. that why did i do that and and to me again come back to commitment take a stand for yourself take a stand for what you stand for in your life your values those things that are important who wants to go through life going like, oh, I should have, could have? It just doesn't make any sense. So every once in a while, I think we, uh, I, I'll use an I statement, I just have to go like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm concerned. They might think I'm a little overzealous and taking way too much time. It's not the fucking U.S. Open. Hmm. But I'm just going to take my time here because, yeah, it's it's just kind of what I need to do right now to take care of business, take care of me, and that broader piece we've been talking about, it all evens out in the end anyways. Well, I, I, I think that of all the things we're talking about, the fact that I'm not, I am or I'm not taking time away from my playing partners, I don't even think that's it for most people. I think people just have a, like you just said, it's not the U.S. Open. All the things we think our friends will say to us, should we step away from a shot? That situation I described, though, specifically is one that comes up with a lot of players on the green when you're out of position and you're like I was the last person to get to the putting surface and I happen to be away and 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 bottom line is a lot of us rush through that because because of the situation we're like oh well I guess I've already taken enough time whatever um forget the fact that you're the times you looked for your friend's ball, et cetera, et cetera. It all evens out in the end. But I think psychologically, and I love what you said about, you know, living in a, in a state of, you know, I don't know for regret or whatever, or feeling like I should have said something, but I, I didn't want to go to the 18th tee, not having given myself the best opportunity to shoot the lowest score I can. I know you know where I'm going with this. The reason I say that to people is that, on, at any point in any round, whether it's the first tee or the 18th green, 
if you can just commit to shooting the lowest score from that point. And sometimes that point, the lowest score is a double. You know, like yep. that's one of the hardest things for players to do is to realize that's when I said to this guy yesterday, our friend Kent. I said one of the hardest things to do is when par is no longer in play. Sometimes we give up because we're like, oh, I can't make par from this pond. Well, but you can make bogey or if doubles the best you can make, six is better than seven. That's the hardest thing for better players. I think for a lot of players, but the hardest thing for better players to do is give up the opportunity at par. Yeah, no, exactly. Again, because uh, I'm supposed to, but par, again, if you get right down to it, what the hell is it? It's it's kind of an arbitrary number. And, yep. In ways, again, I'm, am I am I meeting the expectation that I'm going to shoot par or something? It's really kind of dumb. But it's what's interesting too about this is that the, is the difference between someone who's selfish and someone who's who's aware. And I, I think we all know if we're being selfish. Like if we're taking a bit too much time, well, maybe that's not actually no. True. But I know what you mean. Like there's there's taking your turn, and then there's two minutes of, you know, putting down a level on the green and checking. You know, and I mean, there's enough already. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's selfish. So, yeah, and you know, that'll that'll show itself kind of in the wash or, or what's going on. There's just a vibe you get when someone's doing something or when. It, no, maybe I don't need to do the Bernie Langer four quadrant read on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe well, it's just you, take you my could little, you the, could the do it if you do it in a timely manner. Exactly, you do it while other people are putting. Exactly, that's, that's one of the, the the things that that that's why sometimes again, if we get to the, this uncomfortable part of golf, is is sometimes you have to do some education uh, when you're playing with some people is to. Is you know someone's waiting to go like, oh, hey Bernie, why don't you go ahead? Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, no, or, absolutely. Or, you know, you could, or those people who are like, while you're putting and they're staring off into space, as opposed to taking their time to read a putt yep. and watch what your ball is doing, so that when it comes to their turn, they're ready. I mean, that to me is someone who's self-aware, but also aware of other people in their group. It's always like, okay. It's like a dance, for gosh sakes. You're mm-hmm. you're working together. There's and a choreography to it. Where do you go? Where exactly. do I stand? You know, all of it so that... You, I remember Ben Kern, our uh, late golf professional friend at the pulpit and, and the Nash. He, he always said that, um, what are we doing to make golf fair and fun for the people we're playing with? And if, I think if you go by that... Um, it, it's pretty good guidance. Mm-hmm. Again, come back to the music. I, um, I remember Ben saying, "No one should ever hear you outside of your own fairway," and um, yeah. there's pretty good stuff there. Yeah, well, I learned a lot. <clears throat> learned a lot from Ben watching and, and playing with him. But there's there's a guy that you know we've joked a little bit over the years about you know. Ben's golf swing was good enough to be in the top 60 on the PGA Tour. But by the time I met him, he was so far down some weird rabbit holes that sometimes his swing would be like, what? But his short game, I'd never seen anybody that could pitch, chip and putt like him. And even when I met him long after his good golf swing days, man, he could that that part of his game was so good. It was a bit. Uh, it was a bit off-putting, Tim. Um, oh, I played with him. I just real quick. I played with him and Gary Wyron once. Oh yeah, 
And that was a very interesting experience. Um, Gary Wyron, um, golf legend and merchandiser. Yes, but I, exactly. I, but Ben's, Ben's putting stroke, was, I think the best description I ever came up with it was buttery. Yeah. It was just so flowing and oh very God. much like a Crenshaw stroke, very sort of long and drippy and soft and the ball just kind of I used to watch like his the, the way his the golf ball would come off his putter, I'd be like, I don't I don't know how to even do that. Um listen man, I gotta wrap it up. I'm gonna go play. Yep. Uh any anyway. I uh, just wanna mention once again, Quiet Mind Golf with uh Nate and uh, Nate Robinson and Tim O'Connor. Uh, you can get part of it. More information, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And, of course, we encourage you to listen to the Humble and Fred Show, HumbleandFred.com. And, of course, uh, Golf Spiritual Leader, available for any kind of decade consultation. The, the Decade Sherpa. Decade Sherpa. Yes, indeed. Uh, I want to mention uh, JW Apparel. Hope you're feeling better. We'll get him on soon. And, of course, TaylorMade Golf. Always a pleasure to be part of the TaylorMade Golf family. Uh, next time we talk, you will have played. I can't wait to hear how your first experience went. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, another episode next week, my friend. Take care. All right, you too. You feel all right. When you hear the music ring Well now you step inside Okay, look at that Look at that We don't even need anybody anymore Exactly God, that's funny (laughs) My mouth stopped working Did I forget how to talk? No, you were great. Um, just one second. Just don't go away till I. Uh, I just need to do something here. Uh, where is it? So I can talk to you while I'm just putting the show um, preferences. Uh, so what are you going to do for your birthday, birthday boy? Um, I actually have a very full day, but um, gonna have dinner with um, Sandy, uh, Sean, his girlfriend, Shan, 